If a god exists, he must have an opposite. This idea is present in nearly every human culture. For every Zeus, there is a Hades. For every Allah, there is an Iblis. For every Jehovah, there is a Lucifer. In our culture, this ultimate evil is normally called Satan. But he goes by many other names as well. The Devil, the Prince of Darkness, Beelzebub, Lucifer, and my personal favorite, Old Scratch. This great tempter has been known to meddle quite frequently in human affairs. We see this up close in the German folktale about a man named Faust. Faust decided to give up his immortal soul for an abundance of earthly pleasure and knowledge. Ever since, the Faustian exchange has become a classic trope in literature. We are fascinated by someone who would give up so much for earthly wealth, power, or fame, and the desperation that it would take to lead them to that decision. Or maybe it's that Old Scratch is just that convincing. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. Episode 3, The Deal with the Devil. Let's be honest with ourselves. There aren't many famous landmarks in rural Mississippi. The landmarks that people use for generations were crossroads. A place where two lonely highways that wove through the heart of the American South finally met. At that intersection, you could find the trading post, or later the gas station, or even later an abandoned gas station. Crossroads were where people met. Crossroads were where things happened. And it was at a crossroads where, legend has it, a young blues singer by the name of Robert Johnson may have made a decision that changed his life forever. Robert Johnson was born in 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, one of ten children. All of his grandparents had been slaves. His father, a carpenter, was run out of town because of a dispute with white landowners. He eventually went and lived with his father in Memphis for a time, before returning back to the Mississippi Delta. Like most blacks in the post-Reconstruction South, he worked as a farmhand, but his real love was music. He acquired a harmonica and jury-rigged a system with wires and sticks so he could play harmonica while he worked the fields. He couldn't afford a guitar, but he made do. On the wall of a barn, he nailed three nails up high and three nails down low and tied three wires between the high and low nails to simulate strings. He then placed a bottle underneath the strings to keep the strings playing flat. Robert Johnson's first guitar was a barn. Robert Johnson got married to 16-year-old Virginia Travis in 1929. He had finally saved up enough for his own place and finally his own guitar. Virginia became pregnant shortly after their marriage. However, when it came time to deliver the baby, both Virginia and the child died in childbirth. Robert wasn't seen in church much after that. To cope, Robert Johnson poured himself into his guitar. The brand of music that he was exposed to the most was called the Delta Blues that originated from the Mississippi Delta, so that's what he tried to emulate. Some of the greatest Delta Blues players that ever lived lived within a few dozen miles of Robert Johnson. 
So he did everything he could to learn as much as he could from the greats, including Willie Brown and Sun House. These old titans of blues would meet in juke joints or in friends' houses to shoot the breeze and make music. Johnson was with them whenever and wherever they gathered, guitar in hand, trying to learn any tips from the blues legends. But eventually, the other musicians began asking Robert to stop bringing his guitar. Here's the thing. Robert Johnson was bad. And I'm not talking can't keep up with blues legends bad, no. Robert Johnson was please don't play, it's hurting our ears bad. Maybe it had something to do with learning to play guitar with a barn. All the blues players told Robert to sell his guitar and give up music for good. The young, determined blues singer didn't listen, though. In 1932, Robert Johnson dropped off the radar, which is why, during this period of his life, it's so difficult to determine where the history ends and the legend begins, and what a legend it is. One night, Robert Johnson walked out into the humid Mississippi night. He had heard the legends. Head to a crossroads, wait until midnight, and he'd be there. Robert nervously approached the moonlit dirt intersection and sat down on an uprooted tree and waited. He checked his pocket watch. 11.58. He laid his guitar across his knees and took a deep breath. His heart skipped a beat as he looked to see a figure sitting on the tree next to him. He was a large black man. Robert couldn't bring himself to look into the figure's face. The man reached over and grabbed Robert's guitar. You know the deal. Do you accept? The figure said with a haunting voice, as sweet as molasses. Robert Johnson nodded, still unable to look the stranger in the face. He listened, though. He heard the twangs of this man, this presence, tuning his guitar. When he was done, the massive man handed the guitar back to Johnson. He put a cold hand on Robert's shoulder before saying, I'll see you soon. And just like that, he was gone. Robert stood up and looked around, and the man was nowhere to be seen. Some version of that story has been told over generations. It has permanently attached itself to Robert Johnson's life. Whenever you mention his name, someone will reply, Isn't that the man who sold his soul to the devil? Of course, we'll never know if this legend has any merit whatsoever. But we do know why it's so widespread. It's because several months after the local blues musicians told Johnson to stop coming because of how terrible he was, he came back. And this time... He was good. Their jaws hit the floor as he strummed, slapped, picked, and sang better than each and every one of them. Better than any musician they had ever seen. Thus began Robert Johnson's life as a professional traveling blues musician. He played in juke joints, street corners, and concert halls from New Orleans to Chicago and everywhere in between. He would show up, play a show, then stay with the first girl he could seduce. This routine continued for a few years. 
During this time, he used over a dozen different names. Robert enjoyed the road, never staying in one place for too long. Eventually, someone caught him in front of a microphone. He arrived at the ARC Recording Studios in San Antonio, Texas in November 1936. Recording technology was fairly primitive in the 1930s, so microphone placement and positioning was critical. So when Robert grabbed the microphone and set it in the corner so he could play with his back facing the sound engineers, they were upset, but they allowed it, thinking he was just shy. When they finished recording, they had 16 tracks of the highest quality. Robert attributed it to placing the microphone in the corner and using the acoustics of the walls. Johnson's technique was called corner loading and was used for over a decade until microphone quality rendered the technique obsolete. Johnson's record sold reasonably well and it earned him another recording session the next year. He recorded 11 more songs and this record sold even better. All signs pointed to a financially lucrative career for the young blues singer. In 1938, at the now infamous musician age of 27, Robert Johnson found himself in a dance hall in Greenwood, Mississippi. He had played several shows and was drinking late in the evening. A man approached Robert and offered him half a bottle of whiskey. Robert took it. A local musician who had befriended Robert, Sonny Boy Williamson, was with him when the man offered him the bottle. Williamson told Johnson that he should never, under any circumstances, drink from a bottle he hadn't personally seen opened, and knock the bottle out of his hands. Robert picked up the bottle and said, don't ever do that again. The person that had given the bottle to Johnson was a husband of a woman that Robert had slept with the last time he was in town, and it was laced with poison. Robert finished the bottle and immediately fell ill. He was taken to the nearest doctor who lived on a plantation nearby. The doctor said that there was nothing he could do. Robert Johnson died three days later, convulsing and screaming nonsense about demons and hellhounds. It seems the devil always gets his due. Since he was on a plantation and unrecognizable to the people there, he was mistook for one of the farmhands and buried in an unmarked grave. And then, Robert Johnson was largely forgotten. For decades, the mention of Robert Johnson was met with quizzical looks or just shrugs. But in 1961, Columbia Records released the album King of the Delta Blue Singers, a compilation of Johnson's recordings that they had found in a storage room. This album was met with widespread praise, especially from other musicians. Artists from Bob Dylan to Jimi Hendrix called him one of the best guitar players that had ever lived. Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin said that every rock musician owes their existence to Robert Johnson in some way. Nearly a half century after his death, Robert Johnson was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The new fascination with the blues singer led people to try to investigate into Robert Johnson's past. However, there wasn't much to be found. All of the stories from people who associated with him were mixed with too much folklore and legend to be historically credible. The king of the Delta Blues remains shrouded in myth. To this day, people claim to see Robert Johnson playing in music halls throughout the South. 
there are only two photos of Robert Johnson, but recently people have claimed to have found a third. But there's a problem with it. The style of the hat and his jacket weren't available until the early 40s. But Johnson died in 1938. It's hard to determine what's historical fact and what's just American folklore with the tale of Robert Johnson. But there's no denying his music is both haunting and beautiful. And maybe we give Old Scratch too much credit. Historium is a bi-weekly podcast devoted to telling interesting stories from history. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, follow Historium on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. I'm Jake Barton. Thanks for listening.